Hello and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm Zafia Zvaglinska, international fashion reporter, and I'm here with Glossy Editor-in-Chief Jill Manoff. Today, we're talking about the IPO news for footwear brand Birkenstock, uh, what fashion brands could gain from launching beauty, like Prada, which launched this week, and what to expect from the new Phoebe Philo brand. All right, Jill, what do you think with Birkenstocks? I've got a little bit of info here, so I'm just going to rattle that off. Birkenstock is basically considering an IPO, and it's owned by L. Catterton. And if they decide to go ahead with the listing, which is meant to be happening in September, Birkenstock is said to be valued at more than $8 billion. Um, and L. Catterton is backed by LVMH, and it's also... Um, invested in Scandi brand Gani, among others, because they've been involved in another IPO around a beauty brand um, called Oddity Tech, um, which raised 400 million in July. And the brand has only been owned by El Caterton since relatively recently, since 2021. Um, and Birkenstock owns its own factories in Germany, employs around 3,000 people, and distributes to 90 countries. And obviously, it's been super, super successful, even got a little boost from Barbie, um, the film that came out, I'd say, last month. Um, but it's really, really interesting as a brand, and it's big on collaboration. It's done a few with fashion brands like Manolo Blahnik, and it's reported to be the best-selling shoe of 2022 by um, Utes Netaporte, and it was the Boston Clog, which I think is like not the main sandal, but like the covered version. And Google searches for the brand have more than quadrupled in the US since January 2020. So I guess the question now is, what makes a successful IPO listing in fashion? Oh, geez. I, well, it's expected to be valued at 8 to 10 billion. It's interesting. I'm just happy to see that, um, you know, I guess more movement in the market back in December 2022 like I went to Land Bonds um going going public there they went we were at the stock market in New York and or the stock exchange and it was exciting but at the time there hadn't been a fashion company that had gone public in a year which was Xenia in the US in December 2021 a year before um so yeah I mean on the note of El Catterton it's we're going to talk about El Catterton a couple of times today because it's just like kind of the rich keep getting richer. Um, like you said, they own a majority stake um, where I think two family members own a minority of Birkenstock. Um, and so, and they just in July went public with Oddity. Um, so they also own a minority stake in Phoebe Philo's new brand. Um, so anyway, they, they've got LVMH has their hand in Everything it seems, which is wild, but um, yeah, no, I got Birkenstock success. It's extraordinary in that um, I would just say their styles appeal. They're they fit this little niche where it's not just sneakers, where everybody was doing sneakers forever during the pandemic, and it's comfort. But okay, they provide comfort, but there's almost. Um, there's a look about them. Style people are embracing them. I, I literally, I'm always talking about myself, but when I went to Paris Fashion Week, I saw a girl on the street. She was wearing baggy jeans, a fitted blazer, 
had the best hair and was wearing these freaking Birkenstock Bostons. And I was like, I need those. She looks so chic. (laughs) And I just was like zeroing in on the shoes because I had like, I had all the pieces of that look that I could pull together except those damn shoes. The clogs are it. Um, Mules boys, mules boys. That Instagram account is really like pushing, amplifying, popularizing this this idea of a clog or a mule. Um, and they're still hot. Like you said, the best selling, I guess, shoe of last year. And mm. also um, it was on the list index and all of those those um, lists of cool, cool things that people have been searching and buying. And let's not forget beyond the clog, the Arizona double strap sandal. That is just a classic at this point. It's a classic. Yep. Like, you wear it, you can't go wrong. It m- might not be the most striking, trendy trendy thing, but it's it fits. It works. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the weather in the UK right now, I've actually taken to wearing mine with socks, which I never thought I would do. But it's one of those brands that is just like, it is one of those ugly shoes, but I would say along with... <laughs> Crocs and potentially Ugg boots, it kind of feels like it's a slightly more premium product. And I'm wondering if that's also kind of got something to do with this IPO as well. Yes. And do you think that, I would think that the um, designer collaborations give it yeah. that credibility. Um, it's co- collaborated with Manolo Blahnik and with Dior. And those have all been popular. Speaking of ugly shoes, like the velvet ones with Manolo, I thought they were so ugly. They were good. Is that weird? I don't know. I'm like, they're so bad. They're good. I want them. No, I love them. I think that the, I think they had this like red version with like the velvet. And I think there was some extra like embroidery or like clasp details. But I think it's so easy to update the shoe or to give it a a brand kind of feel that it makes it very easy to collaborate for I think with some other shoe brands it might be a little bit more difficult because obviously you'd have to change all of the elements rather than just kind of like adding a few things differently I guess the the less elements the better kind of like a Marie Kondo approach there what color are you wearing what do you have you've got you've got black you've got tan I've got the tan Arizonas. Those are like the classics. Honestly, I actually only just got my pair this year. I hadn't really worn them before. And yeah, I think I'm I'm a convert. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a pair yet. I've got a pair that looks like them that I thought were a little bit more fashion-y, but like I, w- I, I still went the Boston's. When I went for them, they were sold out. Let's just say that. I'm pining for them. Hello, Birkenstock. <laughs> <laughs> Hook a girl up. Because you obviously mentioned that like brands have done well with certain IPOs and I don't know, obviously, longer in the industry than I have. But what do you think kind of makes a successful fashion IPO listing apart from this, you know, quality aspect that Birkenstock's obviously nailing? Oh, my gosh. Quality. I mean, confidence. I I just. Hmm. Longevity. I'm not sure what. Um, investors are going to, like, if this is a good buy. You know what I mean? I I would think that you can confidently invest in this company. It hasn't shown otherwise. When you look at the growth to date, there weren't a lot, there haven't been a lot of reported numbers. I think the most recently, I guess, officially stated numbers were back in 2019. Um, Their sales at the time were up 11% year over year. Um, Their 
annual sales were about 722 million euros for for the year. Um, And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, were they valued at like 4 billion when L. Ketterton invested? Um, Something along those lines, um, which was two years ago. Um, Anyway, they've Tremendous growth. They've got a history, um, been around since the 1700s, which didn't come to the States until like the 60s of mm. this 1966, something to that effect. Um, but yeah, I, I just think they've got the heritage. They've got, you know, sustainability, I guess. I don't know. It seems cork, <laughs> all the things. Um, they're doing everything right. And it's not like specific to a demo. It's old, young. Anyway, it feels like a safe bet. I think that that makes a good investment and a good entry into the stock market. And it's still booming. It's still hot. Brands want to collaborate. Anyway, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I feel like El Catastan's also got a little bit of a record on like betting on these sure things or close to sure things anyway. Yes, for sure. They need to keep, I don't know, keep the interest. And I don't know how you do that when you're you're known for two styles at this point. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if they're going to be rethinking their strategy if they do end up going for this, but really interesting. And our next story is also kind of in the investor space. I guess it's interesting to see fashion getting into beauty. Um, Prada, the luxury fashion brand, basically launched its um, first beauty collection on August 1st. I think actually it might not be its first. I believe it launched something in... 2013, where it had a small um, beauty collection come out, but I think it pulled it back. And now it's relaunching it with a bit of a backing from L'Oreal's Research and Innovation Center and two top makeup artists, Ines Alpha and Lindsay Alexander, um, who are going to be the brand's ambassadors. And the range is basically comprised of two sections, the skincare range, which is like three products and called Prada Skin, and the makeup range, which is comprised of many products, um, includes like foundation, lipsticks, and eyeshadows, and it's called Prada Color. And the prices are kind of ranged between $43 and $399, which feels kind of high-end, um, but obviously I don't know if that's a norm in beauty nowadays where items are just basically priced higher. But I think the question that I had around it and, you know, the products will be sold directly through Prada's website and they're going to be opening their own store in the US um, next year. My question is, you know, do you think that right now is like the right time for fashion brands to be launching beauty? I mean, there's been a lot of other examples um, that we've seen where beauty has really paid off um, and it's not kind of being affected quite as much as, you know, small leather accessories, which are becoming less popular for aspirational consumers, which typically end up buying into luxury? Yeah, it's a really good question. We just, uh, we put, po- I posted it in our channel. We just received some good data on the state of prestige beauty from uh, Circana, which is formerly NPD Group. Anyway, there was a merger, but um, the, it looks good for, for beauty. Um, and on the prestige side specifically, its uh, sales are up are 18% uh, year over... Oh, this is just for makeup, for makeup, 18% year over year. It's the fastest growing category within prestige. And prestige in itself 
uh, $14 billion in the first, first half of 2023, which was a 15% increase versus 2022. There's a whole discussion in this about the lipstick index and what people buy in a down economy. And anyway, lipstick in itself is selling. Um, sales are up. So it's, I mean, it seems like it, which I had the same question as you, because we keep reporting um, luxury is suffering because it's losing the aspirational shopper. Mm. So like we need to compartmentalize. Does that just mean that those who formerly splurged on a high ticket, an item, a bag, whatever, they're no longer doing that. Um, and yet, I don't know, these entry point items, which I love, you know, I like to gift like an Hermes, Hermes, Hermes lipstick or, or, or like nail polish for Christmas, like just something with a little bit of a logo on it because it's a fashion thing, but like, whatever. Um, I love these things. But yeah, who's shopping this? Is it mm-hmm. the aspirational shopper? I I don't know. All signs are pointing to that it'll be successful. Prada's hot. It was at the top of the, the list index last, last quarter. And then this fragrance that it um, L'Oreal Lux, the second fragrance that they uh, came out with for Prada called Paradox. It was the top selling women's fragrance or fragrance launch, new fragrance in 2022, which great sign what do you think yeah I think I I saw the campaign for that with um Emma Watson it was very very interesting they had a lot of like digital store activations I actually have a little bit of a theory around the kind of fashion beauty launches and I feel like it's it's kind of changing like the aspirational kind of buy-in now is like all of these cafes and restaurants and museums that they're doing and then this is actually like a step up because the price range is like 43 to 400 which I feel like is a little bit higher end. Like it's not something that you just buy off like as a one-off thing, which I feel like you would do if you went to the Dior exhibition in Harrods or any a number of the, the different LVMH experiences that happened earlier this year. Whereas this, I feel like is a little bit more of an investment. It's like the next step. I would agree with that. I think they're doing it right. It sounds yeah. like this person that they hired to be the global makeup artist, uh, Lindsay Alexander, that she, I was reading about about how she really like went deep into the Prada archives and worked collaborati- collaboratively with Musha Prada um, and really like got in, like there was a rule like no glitter, like <laughs> that doesn't fly. Like we'll do metallics, we'll do um, matte lipstick only, like that flies, uh, no, no gloss here, which what a pisser. I love a gloss. <laughs> um, so it seems well thought out. And I think that was a quote. Like it, this needs to be um, thought out and done in a smart way. Um, and yeah, we'll see. I, you're right. I heard it was more recent. They Prada launched a skincare line with their former licensee. How do you say it? Puige? Puig? Puig? Anyway. Um, Puige, which we yeah. Thank you. Um, And it was discontinued. So it's kind of like they need to do something different. I don't know what that skincare line looked like, um, Mm. but it looks like they're entering the market slowly with just a cleanser and a a cream and a serum. Um, And yeah, the makeup looks really fun. Yeah, really good. I think that I mentioned in our um, group channel that it was going to be the the lip balm which apparently is logoed out that's going to be in everyone's what's in my bag videos 
from now until the end of the year, which I fully expect it will be. And, you know, there's been such a success of, like, makeup and skincare brands from other fashion brands. Like, you've got Dries Van Noten, Carolina Herrera, um, you know, Hermes, even, like, Christian Dior, like, does incredibly well in its makeup and skincare sales. So I do think there's something there. I am still a little bit hesitant around that price point. For me, it's a little bit too high. Yeah, it is high. 50 bucks for a lipstick. Damn. Um, but yeah, L'Oreal Lux is behind a lot of those fashion beauty brands. They did, they launched Valentino in 2021. They also have YSL and Armani. Um, and they're, excuse me, the largest L'Oreal division and they're growing. So anyway, they also know what they're doing. So we'll wait and see. You may be getting a, a Prada lipstick for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I have no shame. I love Prada. Well, let's bring it on to our final topic in that case. Phoebe Philo launches um, its signups for its website ahead of the September uh, Spring-Summer 2024 collection. Um, and her last collection for Celine was in 2017. So it's now been six years since she actually designed a collection and the collection will feature 150 different styles across um, ready-to-wear, leather goods, jewellery, eyewear and footwear. And the brand itself has minority backing from LVMH. And actually relating to our topic from earlier around Birkenstocks, um, Philo was kind of instrumental to putting those things into the luxury space, both with the Stan Smith sneakers and the Birkenstocks that kind of elevated um, their image through this luxury association. And I know that you love the brand, um, so I'd love to kind of dig into it a little bit more. What do you think of the return? What do you expect from the designer? I, I would say it's about darn time. <laughs> Get it out there because there have been rumblings about this since mid-July 2021. Um, and at the time, and I called her out in a story in 2022, I think it was in February because she had mentioned we'll have more information on it, um, that it'll be revealed more information in January 2022. So I was like, okay, quiet luxury's hot. Hello, Phoebe, like no comment. I reached out to her PR, no comment. And we've just been waiting. And so the queen of quiet luxury really made this a thing and covetable. Um, and yeah, September couldn't come soon enough. I think we're all going to be sitting there waiting and <laughs> judging and, and hoping we love it because we all have such a passion for it. Um, and it sounds like... <laughs> You know, just based on the face of the brand, like, ah, oh, I love Daria Wor Worboe. Anyway, I love her as a model. And so <laughs> I'm like envisioning it in my head. And I just hope she doesn't disappoint. She won't. Come on. <laughs> no, <laughs> what do you she think? definitely won't. I mean, those scenes with her in a bathtub are kind of iconic now. And I think yeah. that it's weird because like people have been looking for like Celine era Phoebe Philo things on resale marketplaces for like the longest time. I think it's basically become like the most popular Celine aspect for from the last couple of years. But it has been six years now. So I'm I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit critical, but is she going to be able to keep up with the kind of current scene of things? I do feel like this quiet luxury trend kind of plays exactly into her kind of wheelhouse but I, ex I expect that like she'll kind of push those qualities um of you know high-end quality garments that will probably be on a higher price point even I would say than what she was doing with Celine 
oh my gosh, God forbid. <laughs> I think you should have a lot. We'll have a lot to look at. I heard 150 styles across ready to wear and accessories, um, which I don't know. Ready to wear definitely in my eyes is where she thrives. I know she was very um, adamant, like she wants to do this independently. Um, she didn't want to be under a conglomerate. Um, so I don't know how that will play out and what her plans are, you know, to do something um, on a larger scale by herself if she's going to have like, I don't know, surprise us, something that would be so unexpected or maybe would be considered taking a risk um, by, by a larger company. We'll see. But man, September, October fashion month, there are so many debuts and first time creative directors from Gucci. Tom Ford, Peter Doe at Helmut Lang, um, the first Ralph Lauren show since 2019. Like, it's going to be so exciting. I'm, I can't wait. <laughs> I think it's going to be really fun. And I'm looking forward to the shows in kind of London and Europe as well. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interesting things <clears throat> happening with Burberry. I think it's the second collection now with a new um, creative director. So really interested to see that. But I think it's really interesting this. And I'm wondering if she's also going to kind of push into that leather goods aspect that was really popular for Bottega. Because I feel like she would have some very cool influences there that could turn into very cult products very quickly. I'm with you. Yeah. Time will tell, but I feel like she's under a microscope. I, I don't, I feel, I feel for her, I want to say, but like, anyway, it can't be easy to leave for six years. I think it's just easier to keep the ball rolling, <laughs> obviously, but anyway, excited. Yeah. I think she went out on a high though. Like she's one of the few creative directors who I've seen who hasn't been kind of let go by a bigger brand. She just kind of left on her own terms. And I think that is, you know, power to her in some ways. I think I'm really looking forward to seeing that female creative did, designer do that. Did you sign up on the site? I did. You can sign up for the registration. I'm dying to know how many people like signed up for the big reveal or whatever is going to happen with this registration. But I do know that her Instagram account, which has zero posts, the brand's Instagram account, has 240,000 followers. I looked. Um, <laughs> and yeah, anyway, the buzz is there. Yeah, I did sign up. I want to see the updates. I'm hoping that there will be some kind of sneak peek before the show, but you never know. Maybe all of the communication will stop um, until everything's out on the runway. Very, very interesting stuff. Yes, agree. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Jill, for being here. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you haven't yet, please rate and review the Glossy Podcast on whatever platform you use. It really does help us out a lot. And make sure to subscribe. Not only will you hear week in review every Friday, but Jill and senior fashion reporter Danny and me now interview fashion and industry insiders every Wednesday. And actually next week I get my cameo on the Glossy Fashion Podcast. I'm talking to British fashion brand Rixo founder Henrietta. Check it out. Can't wait. Thanks, Sophia. Thanks.